The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. How's everybody doing today? Good. Uh, We're talking about heart intentions this morning, and I want to begin by telling a story uh, about the great actor Anthony Hopkins, who before he was one of the two popes and before he was Hannibal Lecter, (laughs) in the early 1970s, uh, he got a role in a film called The Girl from Petrovka. And it was based upon a novel written by a gentleman named George Pfeiffer. And Hopkins uh, wanted to read the novel to prepare for the part. And so he was living in London and took the tube into the city and went to bookstore after bookstore after bookstore and couldn't find the book. So finally he had given up and he's sitting waiting for the tube to pick him up. And he looks to his right and there's a book there. He picks it up and he turns around. And you know what the title said? the girl from Petrovka. Some coincidence, coincidence, right? Some luck. But it also speaks perhaps to that idea of the creativity of our own intentionality. That ability to set an intention in mind or especially in heart and to see it come about uh, through miraculous or synchronistic means. Uh, a couple years later, Hopkins actually got to meet Pfeiffer, the author of the book, and he couldn't help but share his story with him. Uh, Pfeiffer loved the story, and he said, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, right around the same time, I was translating the book from English English to American English, loaned it to a friend to look over, and he lost the book. Hopkins couldn't wait. He had to go home, grab the book, brought it to Pfeiffer, and sure enough, the annotations revealed it was Pfeiffer's book all along. So adds to this question of intentionality. Was it Hopkins that was drawing the book to himself, or was it Pfeiffer's intentions all along using Hopkins to bring the book back to himself? <laughs> you know, this phenomenon Carl Jung referred to as synchronicity. And he defined synchronicity as a meaningful coincidence of two or more events where something other then the probability of chance is involved. Jung believed that causation wasn't just formed by physical activities, but by mental thought. Sound familiar? He goes on to say, synchronicity, therefore, consists of two factors. An unconscious image comes into consciousness either directly or indirectly, and an objective situation coincides with this content. And I think it's an amazing thing to pause and think about the synchronicities that show up in our lives. And I'm still trying to prove intellectually such thing as synchronicity in my life. But I can tell you I believe in it because of the experiences that I've had in my own life. Do you believe in synchronicity? And I'd like to say that there's, there's four distinct ways that I've experienced synchronicity. Um, The first is the kind of synchronicity that I would refer to as uh, right place, right time synchronicity. These events happen. They tell me I'm I'm right where I'm supposed to be. In 2016, my wife and I got married. And many of you know the musician Daniel Nimod, a great singer, uh, writes his own, own songs. But he, as a favor to me, learned an obscure 1980s song by a New Zealand band called Split Ends entitled Message to My Girl. 
uh, and he played that for us. It was just beautiful. And so it's our two-year anniversary. We're living here in Colorado. We get in the car to go to lunch, turn on the radio, and what song is it? Message to my girl. Never heard it on the radio in my entire life. Right place, right time. You ever had that? You're thinking about someone and all of a sudden they call or you're trying to figure out a problem you just don't know the solution and all of a sudden it just appears out of nowhere? That's the synchronicity of the right place, the right time. There's the other type of synchronicity that works for me is this idea of the miracle that happens when it has to. Have you ever had that experience? You're trying to make a way out of no way and you don't know how you're going to get through but something's got a gift. It was my 20th birthday, and I had just gotten word that uh, my dearest friend had a brain aneurysm and was going to be having emergency surgery at John Hopkins in Maryland, and I wanted nothing more than to buy uh, a ticket to go out and see him. Uh, My budget was very low. I went over to my folks' house, who had an internet connection at the time, and uh, started looking for tickets but couldn't find anything that was affordable. Just then, my uncle, unannounced, walks into the house and says, Josh, I have kind of maybe a weird birthday present for you. I've got this voucher for an airline to go anywhere in the United States round trip, but it has to be used by the end of next week. Do you want it? Thank you, God, right? Those synchronicities of the miracles that happen when they have to happen. I think for many of us, they happen all the time or at least once in a while, but sometimes we don't always give them the credit that they deserve. A third type of synchronicity that I've experienced is that kind of synchronicity that looks like the universe supporting you when you've made a big decision in your life. When you've said yes or no to something, and all of a sudden it's it's not as if, uh, only as if the universe comes with with support for you, but it becomes to to validate the decision that you've made. Uh, About 10 years ago, Uh, My little sister graduated from Long Beach State University. She got her bachelor's degree. And she sent out all sorts of applications for her master's. And one place where she was surprised to be accepted was Queen's College in Belfast, Ireland. And she really struggled about whether to go or not. Uh, We we had hardly left California, much less the country. So it would have been a big thing for her. And you, you know the thing with choices sometimes... We sometimes just only see them between yes and no, and we forget that there's a third choice called not choosing. Inaction, which has its own set of consequences, and that was what my sister was experiencing. She was, she was anxious. She was stressed. She was unsure. Should I even be going to grad school? And so I really wanted to support her in choosing yes or no, and so I took her out uh, to a bar for a beer and uh, really supported her in saying whether you choose no or yes, if it doesn't matter if God reveals to it or not, you're going to make it the right choice for yourself. And at some point in the conversation, I, I heard her say, yes, this resounding yes. And it's like I could see her physiologically transform and become more centered. At that very moment, five tall, muscular, beautiful women walk onto the bar patio and sit down. And my sister and I continue our conversation, but I noticed they kind of sound a little different. So I go over to them and introduce myself and ask them who they are and where they're from. They say, well, we're football players from Belfast, Ireland. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's the, the tiniest of validation, but when you really listen to your life, it's amazing to see how life around you can correspond and meet 
with your grandest intentions. One more form of synchronicity I've experienced that, that brings me into the, the heart of the message today is, is the resounding resonance that happens with the calling of your heart, with the intention of your heart. I'll always remember the day. It was a normal, beautiful Southern California day. I was going to pick my son up from school. And on the way there, I got a call on my cell phone, and it was Dr. Roger Teal uh, inviting me to guest speak in Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. And there are lots of synchronicities in the conversation itself, but mostly it was just a nice discussion. I was thrilled for the invitation uh, and to come speak several months later. And so I went and picked up my son and I said, hey, I got this really cool news today. I get to go speak at one of our largest centers in Colorado. Maybe you and your mom can come along with me. And his first response was, when are we moving there? (laughs) And... You know, even having that conversation with, with Roger, there was that resonance in the, in the heart. I didn't quite know why, but there, there was that yes, that synchronicity that something was touching the intentions of my heart. Uh, and I didn't listen to my heart right away. It took me about a year and a half to even say yes to, to coming out here on a more permanent uh, basis. But even looking back in that process, I remembered something when I signed my contract, or we called a letter of call, to be at the Seal Beach Center for Spiritual Living, a church that I love um, so much. Um, I, when I signed it, I made a promise to myself that, Josh, you can't even think about another gig for five years. Don't even think about it. That was in October 2010. The call from Roger, October 2015. (laughs) See, the thing for so many of us is we have these intentions of the heart, but it's so easy that we let them go, focusing on the busyness or the intentions we think we have in this moment. Now, in our teaching, Science of Mind, we teach that our thoughts are creative. Your thoughts are are creative. And for a lot of people, that's a big leap. So I like to start by taking little leaps. First leap, does my thought have an influence on how I experience my life on a day-to-day basis? Does that work for everybody? Works for me. I think it works for most people. Do my thoughts have an effect on my physical well-being? Yeah, I think there are other things that have an effect too, but my thoughts for sure. Now, here's the big leap. Do I believe that my thoughts attract to me the experiences that I have and attract myself to the experiences that will be? How many people buy that or go with that? That, That's the idea. I'm not saying other things can't too, but that's the idea behind the science of mind, the creativity of our thought. And for me, I've come, just for me, in my experience, to not see that my surface thoughts are all that creative. They're just like trains zooming by. Sometimes they don't even feel like my thoughts. And to be honest, if they were creative, life would get really weird really fast. (laughs) But what I've learned in my experience is that there's this depth of mind. There's something below those the, the surface of things, the, the beliefs, sometimes the judgments, the intentions, the calling of our hearts. These, I believe, are incredibly creative towards attracting ourselves to and experiences to us. And Ernest Holmes teaches this idea that our spiritual practice is about influencing this depth of thought. He shares, 
your hope lies in the fact that you can change these patterns, speaking to the depth of thought. Perhaps not in a moment or a day or a month or a year, but you can change them. This is not a process of merely making affirmations or holding thoughts. It is a process of the gradual re-education of your whole mental reaction. It is a process of following the intuition back to the pattern, of feeling toward it, of accepting it, and of acting as though it were there. And what I would share with you today is what I believe wholeheartedly with 100% of my being is that the intentions of our heart unleash the creative medium for how we experience and what happens to us in our lives. But we have to remember those heart intentions. Do you remember your heart intentions? Maybe you set one yesterday. Maybe you set them as a child to love and be loved, to be of service in the world, to experience true freedom, to know the meaning of life or your true relationship with divinity, to have fun, to live it up. You see why that call from Roger that day was so impactful for me is it knocked me right back into the calling of my heart, which I had made when I became a minister, which was to bring my gifts to as many people as possible, to be of service. See, in my my normal thinking mind, I was perfectly great where I was, perfectly happy doing what I was doing, living where I lived, having the wonderful life that I had. But there was a deeper intention in the heart that had been called forth, and I was now being called to, kicking and screaming, a call to. Can you remember your heart intentions? Do you know what they are? It's, a, it's an amazing exercise just to pause, put away the to-do list, put away the I have to today, the why I exist in this week, and, and go back into that heart space. Why am I really here? Who am I really here to be? Who am I really here to become? And as we ask ourselves these questions, sometimes over and over, the intentions of our heart flood back as if a nostalgic, distant memory back into our beingness. Now, I'd like to share a few things today to remember about heart intentions. And the first thing to remember is that the heart never forgets. The heart never forgets. I have a dear friend. Her name is uh, Dorothy Lance. She's an amazing woman. She took her practitioner studies in her late 80s with me in Seal Beach. Uh, she took up in her 80s intuitive painting as well, and it was kind of synchronistic. Um, I, was, I have one of her paintings up on my wall in my office, and I was admiring it when I got the call last year that she had passed away. Dorothy is an amazing woman, and she, she told me a story once that when she was a little girl growing up in the deep depression in the, in the South, uh, she had only one book, and it was the Holy Bible. And sometimes when it was starting to get dark, sometimes with no food in her belly, she'd take that Bible up to the top of the barn and read it until the sun went down. And when that sun was going down, she'd make a prayer that one day she could experience and be in all of these incredible places where these biblical stories had taken place in Egypt in Israel. And things got better. Her life got better. 
but she, she was an amazing woman living in a patriarchal world, single mom, worked all sorts of different jobs, had so many different careers. And when she hit around 60, she retired and she told me that she finally had money to travel. And one day she found herself in Egypt and she was walking along and she saw the sun setting. And it hit her. She hadn't thought about being that little girl for decades. And she realized in that moment or wondered to herself, has my whole life taken place to bring about that prayer I said as a little girl for me right here today? I did it. I didn't mean to, but the heart did it. Do you have intentions like that? Intentions that you set maybe when you were young? Where you can now look at the sun set on the night and say to yourself, I'm where I'm supposed to be. It's better than I could have even imagined. To step back into that panoramic view to see how all the seemingly unrelated things of your life now fit together where you can see there is a divine narration, a narrative of your soul. Can we get the meaning of the story? Can we live the true meaning of our lives? Realizing no matter how much we may have forgotten, our heart remembers. Your heart remembers. Another important thing to know about the heart is that the heart dwells in possibility. The heart dwells in possibility. Now, I believe that the, the heart is, is an aspect of our mind. It's, it's, it's a metaphorical term to, to recognize the, the deepest part of our mind, the center of ourselves that's always connected with our soul, with higher being. And yet, at the same time in my own life, my heart and my mind often conflict. My heart dwells in possibility. My mind insists on impossibility. My heart uh, thrives in yes. My mind thrives in no. My heart dwells in love, and my mind's always trying to be afraid about something, always in anxiety. And it's so important to learn to, to bring these two, two things together and, and to remember that our, that our heart is always connected with our wholeness, with our highest possibility. Uh, good friends of mine, Char Claire and Charlie McClung, taught me a Portuguese word, a sadaji. And they define sadaji as a kind of longing from the heart, but not so much from an emptiness, but from a fullness. Longing from a fullness to express. Isn't that a wonderful definition for the heart that can change how we live our lives and seek love to realize it's not something that's going to come outside to us, but from within and all around us. I love how Israt Khan, a Sufi teacher, put it. He said, we don't fall in love, but we must rise through love. He said, to an animal soul, love means passion. To the human soul, love means affection. To the jinn or genie soul, love means admiration. And to the angelic soul, love means glorification. One must not fall in love, but one must rise through love. And so for me, that's a big concept to move away from the idea that I must find love in my life to the idea that I must overcome the obstacles within myself that keep me from accepting and being loving. 
to realize that the goal of love isn't to go out there and try and find somebody to complete me, but to find someone that I can share my completeness with. That the goal of life isn't the pursuit of love and the divine in others, but to drop the pursuit and to cultivate that love and togetherness and connection right where we are. The heart dwells in the possible and it will always call to us to fulfill the heart's desire, to fulfill our heart's calling, no matter how much our mind might clamor. And that's why it's my belief often before we really achieve our, our heart's desire, we have to overcome that part of us that would say no to it. It's not enough to know what your heart's desire is. It has to also include the willingness to live the life that can contain it and embody it and accept it. I love how the author of The Alchemist, Paulo Coelho, put it. He said, What you still need to know is this. Before a dream is realized, the soul of the world tests everything that was learned along the way. It does this not because it is evil, but so that we can, in addition to realizing our dreams, master the lessons we've learned as we've moved toward that dream. Does that resonate with you? That sometimes the last thing we need to overcome to achieve our heart intentions is, is ourself, our own doubt. One more thing to remember about the heart, and that is the heart never gives up. The heart never gives up. In my two and a half years now here at Mile High Church, the great blessing for me uh, is getting to know the incredible people here. I know so many of you know this all already, but the, the stories of triumph in spite of great challenges, the commitment to be whole, um, they're, they're incredible here. And two of my favorite people that I've had the chance to meet are, are David Little and Lisa Curtis. Uh, longtime members of the church, David's mom served on the board here for years and years. And I got to know them during the time of transition in our leadership here. And at a, one of our foundation events, they're both foundation members of the church, got to really connect and get to know them better. And last month on his birthday, uh, David made his transition. He was ready to go. He felt blessed to have had the life that he had, and he was ready to move into whatever's next. And Lisa had been not just a partner, but an angel in his life as he made this transition on his birthday. And I had the honor of, of sitting with them just a few days before he passed. And he wanted to hear about my thoughts on life and death, and I just wanted to shut up and listen to him because he was, so, uh, he was in the experience. And one of the things I got him got to hear him share was a, was a heart intention to his partner, Lisa. He said, I don't know if beyond, if I'm able to still communicate with you, but I sure will try. If I can get a message to you, I will do that. And Lisa, obviously at some level, blessed to be a part of David's life and to help him as he made his transition is also, of course, um, grieving. And just about a week and a half ago, she shared the, the following story with me. She said, not that I don't have moments of sadness, but by keeping my heart open, David has showed up many times with profound messages for me. Just recently, as I was shopping at King Supers, I looked down the Valentine's Day aisle and thought wistfully that I would not get a Valentine's card this year. That night, I was sorting through a box of new greeting cards David had. While most were birthday, Christmas, and get well cards, 
there appeared to be one Valentine's card with no envelope. The cover seemed a bit odd to me. Not red, but purple. Somewhat rustic. Then I read the message and knew this was no ordinary Valentine's card. This was sent by David, and the words were for me. I send you love to hold you when you feel empty. And I send you the feeling that I'm near when you're afraid. I miss you and our times together because I love you. I thank Lisa for sharing that story and giving me permission to share it with all of you. The heart never gives up. And all it demands of us is to keep our hearts open. If the universe and spirituality has taught us anything, if science has taught us anything, it's, there's always a lot more that we don't know than what we do know. So keep your heart open. Many of us perhaps feel like our heart's intentions cannot be met, that we tried and failed, or that the heart or life failed us. It's not my intention to tell you you're wrong but I invite you to consider that the heart never gives up. It may not appear or show up the exact way that you outlined it or wanted it to, but when you keep your heart open, you keep the best of life available to yourself. You keep the soul of your being available to yourself. The openness of connections with those we've loved, those we will love, and the truth of ourselves, always near to us and always available to us in possibility if we're willing to live and embody it. To close with the words of another Sufi teacher, Sam Lewis. I feel like a gardener who planted a bunch of seeds and nothing came up. And again, the next year, he planted a bunch more seeds and nothing came up. And again, the next year, he planted a bunch more seeds and the same results. And so on and on and on. And then this year, he planted a bunch of seeds. Not only did they all come up, but all the seeds from the previous year came up as well. And all the seeds from the year before that. And so on. So I've just been frantically running around trying to harvest all the plants until God came to me and said, don't worry, harvest what you can and leave the rest to me. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.